Well, I wasn't here last week, so I didn't. Uh, Nay, you said you were here last. You were here last week. Isn't it great to see her? It's been seems like forever since she and Ben moved on to Mexico, and we follow them on Facebook. But it's so good to see you, and uh, it's just such a blessing for our church. You haven't seen her yet, have you? She's back there. <laughs> The past three days, I was down in Dallas, Texas, at a conference, and the conference was, I've shared this with you before, uh, about the SEND network. And SEND is an organization, has two parts to it. One is SEND Relief, which is probably the largest organization in in the country that helps disaster uh, relief. But the SEND network is a church planting organization that I've recently become a part of and our church has been supporting and and being involved in. And so I went down to this conference. There are probably 4,000, 4,500 people at this conference on church planting. And probably the average age was 30. So a lot of young people. And I won't tell you where I fit into all that, but... uh, a tremendous, tremendous encouragement to see that much happening, that much interest about really moving the gospel forward, particularly in difficult places. And so the reason I went to the conference is to connect with churches that want to help fund young couples coming to places like Boulder and Denver and to plant churches. And so you have churches that will support this. You have young people that want to go, and then you'll have churches like like ours who will receive them and help them accomplish that, kind of coach them along the way. And it's been a passion of mine personally, but but I think for our church too, our great desire to see uh, not just one huge church, but many healthy, vibrant churches just scattered through the city. And so uh, I'm, I'm very excited to do that. And as I, as I mingled with a lot of the young people, I was over at one seminary, I had lunch with a, a bunch of college students, seminary students. And it's just amazing because they haven't done anything yet. They've, they've gone to school. They cannot wait to get out. And they want to come to Boulder and start a church. They are so excited about coming to Boulder and starting a church. And so their expectations are way up here. Um, and I try not to kill that. Um, I, I want to be, because to me, I'm passionate about this too. But, but when I watch that, I think eventually reality is going to set in. <laughs> and we've talked about that before, what our, our expectations are. They're usually way up here, and reality is here. And that tension that comes, it comes for all of us. And I've watched over a few decades now many, many young people go into ministry, into life, marriage, family, and you hit spots that are really, really tough. And they can tend to derail you, Uh, not just rob you of your joy, but really just derail you from the course of life that you had anticipated. And this is really what I, what I think about when we're going to look at the text this morning. I, and I, I'd like to just ask you, in your personal experience, your life, 
can you remember a time or times where you just about got derailed? You know, you just about quit. You just about threw in the towel. You just about said, that's enough. Or maybe you did. And I want you to think about that, that experience and how you felt. And the Apostle Paul, and I love to read when Paul writes because he he writes in a biographical sense. Uh, We're going to look at Acts chapter 20, so if you want to turn in your Bibles there to Acts chapter 20, and um, I'll have the verse up on on the screen. I'll just kind of leave that up there this morning to, to look at it. Uh, but the book of Acts, as follows Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that's, there's one gospel, four different accounts, because there are four different views, which kind of give us the idea of the life of Christ. So we begin the New Testament with the life of Christ. Acts is really the life of the church. This is how the biblical teaching of following Jesus plays out. And we see the experiences, we see some of the challenges and trials of, that people go through. And and Paul makes a statement. He's, he's coming really to the end of his ministry life. He's about soon to be imprisoned, and eventually he'll be put to death. He knows that. People around him know that. He has a lot of mixed emotions about, about this, and he, he is stopping by to visit friends. And he makes this statement that uh, to me is just a, a powerful, powerful statement in chapter 20 and verse 24. And before I read this, because you're not going to find this in any of your Bibles, uh, this translation, and I'll just kind of, I don't want to give like too much information how I, how I study through something, but maybe a window into my, my thinking. Whenever I look at a verse and I think, wow, that's really good. I want to dig in a little bit. You, you ever do that? You just want to dig in a little bit. You look up in a commentary, you look at, and, um, and so when I read this verse, I thought this verse, and this verse really has become in a sense in the last probably five, six years in my own personal life, just a really a meaningful verse. And so every word of it is important to me. And so typically when I'm, people say, what's your favorite English translation of the Bible? And uh, I have four favorites. <laughs> so it just depends on what I'm doing. I say New American Standard. I love the New American Standard. That's been around a long time. It's an it's incredibly accurate uh, translation. I love the NIV. Typically the New International Version uh, really gets the meaning of the text very well. Um, it just kind of zeroes in on that's not just what it says, this is what it means. Uh, the ESV, English Standard Version of the Bible, is a really good translation. I've got That's what I have up here today. It's kind of a blending of those two. And uh, the New Living Translation, some of you have read the New Living Translation. Um, it's, uh, it's a little more of a dynamic equivalent. Um, but I, when I'm reading large sections of Scripture, I like just reading it. It just provokes my mind. So if, if I read it in one translation, it says this. and another translation, it says this. I go, what's up? <laughs> so I want to dig in a little bit. So what I, what I did on this is I this really looks a little more like a translation that we got 400 years ago. You know which one that was? King James Version of the Bible, which, which I, I rarely use that. But it sounds a little bit like it at the beginning. But... What I try to do is just to go through word for word from uh, the New Testament language and translate this into what I feel is, is really conveying the thought. So uh, you can understand, that's probably more information than you wanted this morning, but, but I, I think it probably helps a little bit when you study, 
today's kind of nice because you can Google things. You can read, you can get this translation, your, your U version, you can read it in any translation, look it up, look up the words, look up what people say about it. So you're not, you're not limited. So here's what this verse, how it reads. And this is the Apostle Paul speaking toward the end of his life to people who are, are worried about him being put to death. He said, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now, the word gospel, you may just note, means literally good news. So I would say the ministry is to testify of the good news of grace, of the grace of God. That's his ministry. Now, I, my prayer is this, that this verse, this morning, would just wash over your mind and heart and that you would be encouraged by this verse to become an anchor point for your life as it has been for mine. And, and the way I'd like to approach it is by asking three questions. The first question is, what things might move you? What might knock you off the track? What might cause you to quit? Or what in the past has caused you to say, you know what, that's enough. I'm done. I think anyone who's lived any measure of time has got to that place where where you just feel like, I can't do this anymore. I can't go on. I have become so discouraged. And what's, what's so beautiful about the Apostle Paul in his confessional, biographical, very transparent way of writing, he lets you into his own struggle, his own life. Yes, I've been there. Yes, I've felt that way. But here's what I've learned. So personally, I think for many of us going through hardship, injustice, persecution, betrayal by friends, Suffering, loss, loss financially, marriage, breakups, family, your kid's not doing well, your parent's not doing well. And and all of these circumstances that Paul has gone through, we go through constantly, tend to produce in us emotions and feelings of bitterness and sorrow and disillusionment, discouragement, depression, anger, fear, and aloneness. And many times in the Christian life, we feel like we're swimming upstream. And the first two times in the, the title of this series of messages, called to an extraordinary life. The first, the first message I had was that it's a call to an impossible life. <laughs> and so it necessitates the grace of God. What, what God's will for you is not, you are not equal to the task. I don't care what it is. I don't care what it is. I'm not talking about being a missionary or going to Africa. I'm talking about whatever God's will is for your life. You are not equal to the task. So it demands and necessitates the grace of God. It's impossible. And you've got to learn that. The second week we talked about it is a better life. <laughs> it's a harder life to live a life apart from God and apart from His grace. The full, rich beautiful, glorious life. It's not an easy life, but this is what Paul speaks about, and it, is, and it speaks to eternal life. And so the Christian life is extraordinary. It is extraordinary. 
but it's like swimming upstream. You know, you're just, your whole life, you're swimming upstream. It's like when we have prayer requests, we say, I want to pray, pray for this, pray for this, pray for this, and, and, and if God all answers, answers all those things, and you got, well, now we've got to pray about this, and pray about this, and pray about this. It never ends. And so this is what he shares with us in this. So in the context of this verse, of course, you, you, look, you try to look at what's before and after verse 24, and look back to, to verse 22 and 23 in your Bibles. I'll keep, I'll keep verse 24 up on the screen. But he says in verse 22, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. That's why everybody's upset. Don't go, Paul. Don't go. You're going to be persecuted. He knows that. He knows that in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But none of these things move me. Literally, he says, he says, that's of no account to me. That's of no account to me. Afflictions, difficulties, stresses. And can I say to you this? It's not just Paul. It's, it's the path of every single believer because we live in a fallen, sin-cursed world that is awaiting redemption. And as it says in Romans, Paul writes to the Romans, the whole earth groans. We, we groan waiting for redemption. Later on in his life, he, he speaks to his friends in Corinth in a letter, and he says, I, he says, I've been through labors, imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys, danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. That's one of the toughest things to handle is when you get betrayed by a friend. Has that ever happened to you? It's like in Proverbs it says, you know, I can handle it if it's my enemy, but my, my, the one that I shared bread with, that's what Paul went through. In toil and hardship, through sleepless nights, hunger and thirst without food, cold and exposure, and apart from all the other things, there is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. That's his life. But none of these, but none of these things move me. They've not derailed me. They've not derailed me. And they've not robbed me of my joy. That's what we're going to see in that verse. He says that I might finish my course with joy. And then in 2 Corinthians 12, he talks about a thorn was given to me. We don't know exactly what this affliction was, but a thorn was given to me. Who was, it, who was the thorn given to him from, do you think? From God. It, but, but the way it says, a thorn was given to me in, in the flesh. In other words, it was something in his body, some ailment in his body. And he said, a messenger of Satan to harass me. So here he is, he is harassed by some physical affliction. And it's a gift from God carried out by Satan. Think, go figure. And he tells us the purpose. 
to keep me from being conceited or proud. To keep from basically is to keep me from being self-confident. In other words, God gave a gift to Paul, an affliction in his body, to make him more dependent upon God, a more of a recipient of grace. The great preacher of the 19th century, Charles Spurgeon, said that the reservoir of grace is dug out with a spade of suffering. The reservoir of grace is dug out with a spade of suffering. So God's gift to Paul was this affliction, physical affliction, and it wasn't because Paul was sinning. It wasn't because he was doing something wrong. A lot of times we're going, Lord, what's going on? What did I do? And we're so frustrated. No, I'm creating in you the reservoir of greater grace in your life. In 2 Corinthians 1, he says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. This is when he was traveling with the gospel. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength. Have you ever been so utterly burdened beyond your strength? So that we despaired of life itself. Now, if I asked you this question, have you ever been at the point where you would just rather not keep on going? Just, I just, this life, Lord, come now. I want to go to heaven now. I just don't anymore. He said, this is Paul. This is our, our model, our spiritual giant. He is saying that it was so hard. We despaired of life itself. So what I love about Paul's example, you know, I, I think, of course, we have in the New Testament the example of Christ and and you say, that's impossible, and yet it's not because he gives us the ability to live the Christ life. But I love the example of Paul because I can, I can get my mind around it a little bit. I can say, I, 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 yeah, <laughs> that's how I felt, despaired even of life. So a second question. From what will these things move you? From what? Whatever it is, in your life that would tend to derail you, what does it derail you from? I think that's important to to understand it. And he speaks to this because he says, none of these things move me from what? From what? He said, so that I might finish my course with joy. Well, they don't move you from the course. The course. What is the course? Some translations use the word race, but it's a marked out path that is before us. And God has a will, a way, a course for you and for me. And there are many similarities. I mean, there are many things that that God wants for all of us, but there are uniquenesses for each of us. And the only way you'll ever know that course is to be able to walk with him. And Paul is saying that I realize that, that, that all of these afflictions and problems and heartaches and persecutions and all the things that come into my life would tend to knock me off the rail, discourage me, and cause me to quit. From what? Of course, that God has assigned 
for your life. To rob you of the joy of your life. And I think that some, some of you are in that category. You know, you'd say, you know what, I, I'm still going. I'm going to be faithful to the end. And I've met many, many Christians like this that, you know, you haven't jumped off a cliff. You haven't, you know, checked out completely. You didn't, you know, capitulate on everything. But you've just absolutely lost your joy. Paul said that I might finish my course with joy. That's a loaded statement, isn't it? That I finish, yes, but I see a lot of Christians who've lost it. They just lost their, their happiness, their joy, their, their expression. And I can tell you this, that what is God's will for your life? I'd say, first of all, that you be saved. What do I mean by saved? By, by that you be delivered from your sin, repent of your sin, and believe upon Jesus as your Savior. That is the will of God for your life. How do I know that? That's what the t- Scripture teaches. God is not willing that any should perish. God doesn't want anyone to go to hell, but that all, all, all should come to repentance. It is the will of God for you to become a Christian, to be a follower of Christ, to be a believer. God wants to save you from wrath, to save you from death, to save you from hell, and to give to you eternal life. All through the, the New Testament, and we read about that, or read about that a few weeks ago when we, in, in Ephesians chapter 2 when he talked about, for by grace are you saved through faith. It is the will of God for you to be saved. Now, I would say that many of you have put your faith and trust in Jesus as your personal Savior, and that's all you need to do. I mean, it's as simple as a child saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Come into my life. I believe. I believe. I believe. And instantly... You are forever and eternally saved, and nothing, nothing can take that away. You can't ever lose it. People say, well, you know, could you lose your salvation? How can, how can you lose something that you, it was a gift from you that you had nothing to do with? You didn't earn it, so you don't, by, it's not by works that you got it. You're not, it's not by works that you lose it. <laughs> it's a free gift. That's a work of grace. But the second work of grace is the continuing working of God. And this is God's will for you, for for you and for me, is that God is changing you. God is changing you. And change is uncomfortable, right? We just watched, you know, we're loading up my mother-in-law's things and we're packing it up. My father-in-law just passed away. We're moving out the chair that he, he was in when he passed away. We're we're uh, she's getting rid of all of her things, and she's getting on a plane, and she's leaving Kansas forever. I mean, it's it's been an emotional time. Change is hard, but God wants to change you to be more like Jesus, and that that is a lifelong process of Him working in you by His Word and by His Spirit to transform by grace, by grace, through faith, same way that you became a believer is the same way you grow. It's not different. You don't get saved by grace through faith and then say, okay, I'm going to work really hard and I'm going to do this and do this. No, it's not by works that you change to be like Christ. It's by grace. 
And so it's believing what he teaches. It's obeying and following his word. It's listening to his voice. It's allowing him to work in your life. And he transforms you. So grace to be saved, grace to become like him, and grace to fulfill his earthly purposes. You know, when he says to Valley Community Church, go into all the world and preach the gospel, I look at Boulder and I think, oh, Lord, help us. Have you been to Boulder? <laughs> I said, Lord, have you been over there? Have you been down on Pearl Street? Have you been to see you? You know, I'll tell you what, God's not wringing his hands going, oh, no, what am I going to do about Boulder? I, I can tell you this, there's no way this little church can reach Boulder with the gospel unless God does it with his grace. But we need to, we need to believe that he has placed us on this earth and, you know, God's called me to be a pastor. I mean, that that's to to preach. That's his calling on my life. But that's not any more sacred than being a carpenter, driving a truck, being a nurse, being an accountant. That is not more sacred. It is not more holy. It's not. That's that's just what God gave me to do. And whatever God gave you to do in your neighborhood, in your job, and what you're doing is just as holy. God has strategically placed you there to be a witness. And this is what the last part of this verse says, that we we are to testify of the good news, of the grace of God. How do you do that? You do that in your life. You do that in your conversation. You pray for the people you're working with. You pray for your neighbors. You say, that's really hard. (laughs) You know what? I understand that. You just feel like going up to someone at King Supers and start talking to them about the gospel? You get nervous about that? You need to recognize you can't do any of it. Even your neighbor, even your best friend, it's hard. But the grace of God helps us to accomplish His will for our lives. So that's where it's different. It's the same in that God wants us all to be saved. It's the same in that God wants us all to be like Christ. But it's different in that how we carry out this great commission in the venues of life, our neighborhoods, our friends, and our schools, we're like salt everywhere. And we need His grace for that as well, to be a channel of His grace. There's a recent book called Habits of Grace by David Mathis, and he writes this. He says, I can flip a switch, but I don't provide the electricity. I can turn on a faucet, but I don't make the water flow. There will be no light and no liquid refreshment without someone else providing it. And so it is for the Christian with the ongoing grace of God. His grace is essential for our spiritual lives, but we don't control the supply. We can't make the favor of God flow, but He has given us circuits to connect and pipes to open up expectantly. There are paths along which He has promised His favor, and our God is lavish in His grace. Do you remember that when we were in Ephesians? He lavishes His grace on us. He is free to liberally dispense His goodness without even the least bit of cooperation and preparation on our part. And often He does. But He also has His regular channels and we can routinely avail ourselves okay, avail ourselves of these revealed paths of blessing or neglect them to our detriment. God's ready to pour out His grace to save you. But you can neglect it. You can refuse to receive it. You don't have to be saved. 
God wants to pour out His grace on you to change your life to be more like Jesus. But you don't have to respond in faith. God wants to empower you and enable you and help you share your faith. But you don't have to depend upon Him. And so it can be to our blessing or it can be to our detriment. I'm to finish my course, God's perfect will, and to be full of joy because there is no greater joy than to be in the center of where God wants you to be and and be dependent upon Him. There is no greater joy. It doesn't mean that everything's happy. Not everybody's high-fiving, but there's this deep... Joy is a deep, subtle peace and contentment that only God can give. Third question. How do we do this? (laughs) None of these things move me. Nor do I count my life as dear to myself so that I may finish my course with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel, the good news of the grace of God. Here's what he says. Don't count your life dear to yourself. You know, I think all of us love ourselves. We just naturally do. I mean, we, we're, we're naturally self focused, self-centered. And Paul says this, none of these things move me and I don't count my life as dear to myself. There are, there are a number of times in my life that I have, and I can remember them vividly, of times I got real discouraged. And, I, and I'm typically not, I, I typically don't get discouraged that often, but I can remember these times. They're vivid in my mind. Uh, I can remember looking at the floor, sitting in a chair, thinking I'm going to go to China. (laughs) I can remember driving by a cemetery and wanting to go crawl in a hole. But the time that I remember most is when I was, this is a number of years ago, that I was, uh, I went into the men's room and I just splashed water on my face and I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, here's what I said to myself. You are such a loser. Now, and, and I think back to that time. Where was my focus? I think it's significant. I was looking in the mirror. Here's what I found in my Christian life. The longer I look at myself, how am I doing? How am I doing? And the more intensely I look in the mirror, the more depressed I get. Because there's no good thing that comes from a self-focused life. And I believe one of the greatest causes of discouragement among believers is that when all these things go on, we start looking at how it's affecting me. And and it it just continues until it bottoms out. Now, I'm not saying this to you, and the reason I share a personal illustration is not because I'm proud of that, but that's, that's where we all tend to go. When, when we get discouraged, we start turning in. But the focus of Paul's life was, none of these things move me, 
I don't count my life dear to myself. What, his eyes are up on Jesus. So what do I see in the face of Christ? I see the character of God's goodness and the character of His power and the power of His might and His all-encompassing wisdom and His sovereign working plan and that everything works together for good. When I get my eyes up, I see that God's working eternally, not just temporarily. It's not just about this event. He has promised that in every situation for the believer, he's working something good. Now, I can't see it when I'm looking in the mirror. I can't. I see myself. I see the, the impact. And I feel bad for myself. I feel sorry for myself. And I just start going down. I can just tell you this. It's not an easy thing to get your eyes up. To look. To remember His character. His goodness, His power, His might, His sovereign plan, the hope of heaven. Even losing my father-in-law, you know, I, I thought I haven't, you know, I'm just going to miss him so much. Start, and, and you know, this, this, these are normal thoughts. I mean, you've been through these things, those of you who lost loved ones, but... This last year, I was losing my mother, losing my father-in-law in the same year. I'd never lost anybody that close to me. So I'm starting to feel really down, and I'm thinking, what, what, it's all about me. So, you know, I'm going to miss dad. I'm going to miss mom. I'm starting to, now, that's not bad, but I'm thinking, get, get, where's dad right now? Get up. He's with Jesus. Where are we going to end up in heaven? What do we have to look forward to? You see what I'm saying? It's not that we deny reality. The, the fact is, the, these things are happening. It is hard. But when you start just looking at me in the mirror, how all this affects me, take all of your joy, and it can often take you off the course that God has planned. You become ineffective in being able to accomplish what He's called you to do. Yesterday, I was talking to a friend, a very close friend, a guy that I poured my life into over 30 years ago. Became a pastor, serving the Lord. Great guy, loves the Lord. And I, and I, th- I just thought of him. I just thought, I haven't talked to him in a long time. I called him and he, he said, I've lost all hope. He said, well, how can a pastor lose all hope? Well, same way Paul could, same way anyone, the rest of us could. And I thought, got really discouraged. It reminded, reminded me even how a strong, vibrant person who's seen God's blessing for many years can still have this happen to him. And so when, when the crisis hits, okay, you're going to have bad things happen. It's like Paul has this event going on, all, all of the ones he lists. Okay, next bad thing that happens. I, I, I wrote down these three things. Number one, face the difficulty. Recognize what it is. You know, don't, don't deny it. This has happened. It's bad. You know the thorn in the flesh? It's bad. Dad passed away? That's bad. <laughs> Number two, recognize His grace. Recognize the eternal work of God. Recognize spiritually what it said. Get your eyes up. Don't be looking at self. And number three, exercise your faith to believe. I'm going to choose to believe what God has said is true. I'm going to focus. I'm going to choose to do that. I'm going to choose not to go in there and look in the mirror and pine away on this. 
but rather look into what God has promised. And it's more than living this way, folks. It's testifying to this. I'm not trying to just give you a message here to help you survive this life. Because God has called us to something better than surviving the trials of this life. He's calling us to testify of the grace of God. In other words, my life becomes a living newspaper of the grace of God. How can he have joy? How can she have joy? How can they continue when they go through things? Testifies of the good news of the grace of God. So I'll I'll conclude with this. What we know and what we do with this, this verse. I just think this verse is just so powerful. This is what we know. His grace has been lavished upon us so that none of these things need to move us. His grace has been lavished upon you. So you should be able to say, none of these things move me. What do we do? We begin testifying to the good news of the grace of God. My life should be testifying the good news that everyone needs to hear of God's grace. It's not just saving me. That's, that's, yeah, that's the best part. But you know what? It doesn't end there. That's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. If you got saved, that's just the beginning. Now he's making you more and more like Jesus. And that in itself testifies to the world. He gives you boldness to be able to share the grace of God and speak to the grace of God in the place that God has assigned you to finish your course with joy. Father, thank you for your word. I just thank you for this verse and the surrounding verses and and the surrounding scripture that just lift our hearts this morning. And Lord, for every one of us, like Paul, we have our issues. We have our pain. We have our losses. We have our hurts. Oh, God, help us to leave the room with the mirror looking at self and to look up and to see your wonderful grace lavished upon us and freely receive it to be saved, to become like you, and to be able to testify to the whole world the good news of the grace of God. 